Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to this week's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Super exciting guest joining us today with a, a really interesting sales background, community builder. Amy Rahovchek is a revenue human for life, raised by a sales VP, sold for a decade, finishing at a little-known company called Thompson Reuters. And from there, she transitioned to sales enablement, which was super early in the concept of sales enablement, which is still in its early days and built out two different departments. Uh, these days, Amy is a mental health advocate, surprise why I want her on the show, <laughs> and really on a mission to learn how to sell ideas. How do we help people transition and take control of their mental health? She currently hosts an awesome podcast, The Revenue Real Hotline. She is the head of the SalesCast community, where she teaches sellers how to find their voice and use the podcasting medium to connect with buyers. And she's also championing Andy Paul's new book, Sell Without Selling Out, hashtag Mm. team human, Uh, which if you didn't listen to Andy's episode, you should because he is just a a wizard and his new book is going to be fantastic. So Amy, super grateful you're joining us today and welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here, an honor, in fact, and uh, listeners, thank you as well. Nice to meet you remotely. (sighs) I, I am pumped that they're going to get a chance to listen to you as we've had a, a lot of conversations recently. I think there is a wealth of knowledge. And so I always love starting and understanding. Wait, can I have that in writing, Frank, please, Jordan? <laughs> well, I, transcription, we, we should. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay, good, good, good. So we, we should have it. Uh, but I would love to start with understanding something maybe early in your life that impacted how you sell or how you lead and, and interact and engage with others. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's, there's so many things, but I think, so I was raised by, by a sales leader, as, as you just said, and I, I put that in the bio for a couple of reasons. One, I, in many ways, it was very fortunate in that the stigma of the profession, right. Was not something that I ever had to deal with. Right. And, and also I saw modeled for me, the right way of leading a sales team. Right. And so, um, yeah, but anyway, so my dad, (laughs) he, when, when I was a kid, right. When we were little kids, I had two younger sisters and he would ask each of us at the dinner table every night, when did you feel butterflies in your stomach that day? And obviously this is probably age appropriate and gender appropriate analogy. Uh, however, it did the trick because we were then asked to give a story about the, t- the moment that day. And if we did not have a story to report, then we were softly or subtly reminded sometimes through silence that all growth takes place outside of your comfort zone. And I like, I don't, I guess you could look at the results, like a, what kind of, what, did, what does it take to make somebody turn out like that, like that crazy person over there? So that, that's a piece of it. However, I learned how to interpret the feelings of discomfort differently, very young. And not only did I learn how to interpret them differently, I 
learned how to seek them out, right? And to measure the my own performance that day based on, you know, how far outside of my, or if I stepped outside my comfort zone and then how far I went. And so, yeah, then multiply that by 35 plus years of experimenting. <laughs> this is really interesting. I love this question. I, I think questions can bring so much power to our actual learning. I think hearing somebody say something is really powerful, but asking a question is where learning really happens. And I'm curious, when I hear this butterflies thing, is this more of a being uncomfortable motion or is it more of uh, when you felt like you were doing like well and, and doing really good? No, it was, it was uncomfortable. So one of the mm-hmm. things I think that, so I, I don't have children, but I'm a proud Aunt Amy um, with my girls, my three girls. Um, so my sisters are, you know, they've done their service to the world <laughs> <laughs> and my parents for that matter. But anyway, so um, they do a much better job teaching kids. Like uh, I remember when Allie was, who's like eight now, but she was in whatever, kindergarten. And they had these, they were trying to teach about the feelings of like warm and fuzzies and like cold pricklies, right? That was the term. And so when you did something to someone else and they told you like, oh, that made me feel cold prickly, right? I was trying, whatever. So better job. When I was a kid, when we were, you know, when <laughs> walking to school in the snow uphill both ways, barefoot, um, <laughs> and driving to your sales meeting through with TomToms or MapQuest printouts, um, it, we weren't that that evolved as a society yet. And, you know, we certainly still have a far way to go. But the point is, and to your question, it was about the uncomfortableness. And so that analogy, even just in framing the concept in the positive, like a butterfly, a pretty butterfly in your stomach, like, so, uh, and all that's obviously by design, but yeah, it was designed to help us to one, be present with that discomfort, right? Recognize when it's happening, label it for what it is and interpret it differently, right? Not be afraid. Um, and you, we do that by selling the value, which is you're going to grow. You're going to learn. That's where your progress lives. Go be over there. Interesting. I, I love that. I think there is just so much power in being uncomfortable. I, I know I've played small. I just talked to a longtime friend who was like, yeah, you, you've been playing small for a while. Like, go play big. Be bold. Get out there. And I don't think I had to dance with a lot of discomfort early on. That was definitely not something that was coached for me. And I think we are starting to see the the rattling of like our education system and how do we bring more understanding of emotions mm-hmm. in with children. I just shared the the feelings wheel with some folks recently that was Oh, you did in the Slack group too for a sales cast. Yeah, that was great. It was brilliant. And it's like, how do we actually start understanding and identifying these emotions to build awareness and how we feel because most of us are just in this constant, like, good, fine, okay. And that's not really a feeling and an emotion. And, um, you know, getting insecure and neurotic <laughs> and emotional. Yeah. Can I add on this? Because I wanted to say this yeah. when you shared the this feelings wheel in the, in the podcast mentals channel. Um, when I was at Brookhaven, right, which was that impatient facility. Uh, it was beautiful, right? Absolutely gorgeous. Hills of Tennessee, like, I, and I've got a PhD, right? In all things, um, you know, headspace. But when I first got there, 
right? And they it was a mix of like group therapy, individual, all, all this stuff and like whatever. And then some, like I was being taught how to cook, right? Because so I can prepare meals for myself, whatever. So it wasn't all awful. Um, but the point is that I'm sitting in my first group therapy session and the counselor hands out um, a piece of paper to everyone. And, and you could just sense the going through the motions, right? So this was something that happened at the beginning of every meeting. Okay, check, got it. But I get the paper and I look at it and on it is front and back, right? All the names of emotions. And not only, it wasn't just like willy nilly, they were grouped in categories, right? So it was anger and then 10 different versions of anger uh, or variations or whatever. And I remember holding this paper and watching everybody go around. And the first thing that they had to do was tell how they were feeling right then. And it got to me and like looking back on it, like, let's be serious. Like I was fucking pissed off. I was frustrated. I was mad to be there. I was not happy about being there. Like I like work, like whatever. So that was where I was at. Like I'm really, really mad, but I could not, I was so far removed from any kind of interaction with my own feelings that I could not pick one of these words at all. And it was such an aha moment for me. And just to, I mean, there was a bunch of them in, at Brookhaven, but yeah, we, we are, we've all been raised in a society. If you're in the States, right. Or really Western societies, we, we don't talk about feeling, first of all, they're dirty things and, or like a, a feminine trait, which by the way, gentlemen, we all have them. Like, this is a fact. Uh, okay. But anyway, so we just, we're and it's just a massive like skill gap. And so um, this is why I love having these conversations, Jordan. And, and I respect so much what you're doing because, you know, there's, well, you and I could talk about the, the power of what it, what happens when you label that feeling or you label that cognitive distortion, right? And you're able to differentiate like, hmm, anxiety and excitement are really kind of similar. Am I really nervous about this meeting or am I just really excited? And so like, there's no words to describe these feelings until you actually go through them yourself. But yeah, make no mistake, friends. Step one, get present. Step two, define how you're feeling right now and, and go from there. There is so much power in that awareness. And I really appreciate you sharing that story because this is something that I find so many people only get to when they feel they're broken or they're at the bottom and, and there's so much opportunity to, to get in front of that. And which is why I'm so bummed that I didn't have this training when I was in school to understand my emotions. And when I label something, I actually can now have some power over it and not only having awareness of, okay, here's where I'm at, but now I can understand where I want to go. And for men, you know, I, to your point, like, oh yeah, like, crying. I, I had a conversation with a, a fellow man the other day who was like, I've really struggled to cry most of my life, but recently had some experiences that have cried like I've never cried before. And so much of us, so much of what we do is just hold on to these things and bottle them up mm. to a breaking point. And I think that's why we see stress and burnout and anxiety and depression and suicide being so rampant especially in this, you know, in America and so many people that I know and in this profession where it's where it's hard. It's harder. Good. Yeah. But well, we're we on to it. 
I mean, I think there's a bunch of things here. Like there's a, about a million reasons why the trains will go off the tracks in any given instance. And any one of those reasons will do for me. I misinterpret, and now I'm talking specifically sales, right? And so I think in 10 years, you and I have spoken about this, I think, but in 10 years, it'll be uncommon, I believe, to not have a professional psychologist available on the, your sales floor, right? Like, like, riddle me this, Batman, how hard do you think Bill Belichick had to be convinced to hire a sports psychologist to come and work with the, with the Patriots? I mean, come on, right? These, these are the, your elite corporate athletes. And let me tell you, right, what they're going through on a regular basis, we don't, we don't give enough credence to that. Um, that said, I misinterpreted something that I read Right. Because in many ways, right, where we learn, we teach ourselves how to do this profession, given the current state of our, our uh, sales force, which is a conversation for a different day. But I read something and I guess I just I misinterpreted this idea. And so my my goal was early on in my sales career that I was not going to engage with the negative emotions. <laughs> the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the reject, like whatever. I just wasn't even going to I wasn't going to. They weren't going to be a thing for me. <laughs> and I, in many ways, like I got very good at it. Right. And so I was reading about habits and changing behavior, right. Oh, like all of us that are aspiring to get mastery or develop mastery in this profession. Um, and so I was running these things on myself. And so, but the challenge where I went wrong, where my, my logic was flawed is that there is no such thing as aspiring to ice out only negative feelings. When you aspire to ice some of them out or not feel them, you ice them all away. And little by little, year after year, right? This is exactly what I did. And until like my emotions absolutely fucking revolted. And at that point, it was like I had no tools because I hadn't been interacting with them. And now what another thing I want to point out there is that one top performance is not indicative of health. Right. One of the ways and challenges with mental health is that we frame it as a it's like a the absence of symptoms does not equate health. Okay, And Mm -hmm. so there's a big delta between someone that is experiencing symptoms. Right. It's gotten to that point, which is probably most of us at some point we can all relate to this um, versus, you know, the what wellness truly is and what mental health, mindfulness, headspace, stoicism, resilience, uh, whatever, whatever name you identify with, it's all the same shit. It's right. It's a proactively taking control of your mentals. And I would highly encourage anybody that is hoping to make it long term in this profession to prioritize this because not only will it make your life better and the lives of those around you better, right? Because you think you're the only one that is affected by the swings of this profession. Look at your kids, look at your spouse, right? Look at your siblings, right? And I'm I'm just starting to talk about the relationships that I put in jeopardy while I was learning how to manage this and the, my own neurodivergent brain on top of it. But anyway, I'm I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop ranting here, but you got me going here, Jordan. uh, Jeez. I I think there is like, it's like brings so many thoughts up for me. One around and I, I've had conversations with the top 1% of reps this year. And many of them say, yeah, I'm having a great year. I'm earning more money than I've ever thought I would in my life. And I'm more stressed than I've ever been. 
mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do because everybody's coming to me saying, wow, how are you doing so well? How are you doing this? And so now I'm getting pulled in more directions and I want to help and I want to get back, but I'm fried and I don't have the tools or resources to understand how do I help support myself through this? And right. I mean, there, the, the piece you were talking about at the start of it too, is where I fall into this and have gotten checked by my wonderful fiance many times on this, like, almost level of toxic positivity of like, I just want to lean into the positive because I got pissed off as a younger kid. I acted out of anger and rage and I never wanted to be that angry again. I remember so vividly blowing up at my mom one day and like scaring the absolute crap out of her Mm -hmm. because I was so angry and for a while, I was like, I never want to feel anger again. I never want to show or express anger again. But by just hiding that emotion away and just constantly being like, oh, I've got to be positive, got to be positive, got to be grateful all the time, which has been very helpful in many ways, but not experiencing that full it's not real. set of emotions, it, yeah, is, I, real. it ices it all out, makes it less authentic. And is, I think, again, where having language is so helpful at the start and then starting to work through this understanding of, you know, how do we take more control of our lives? How do we identify it and then decide, is that where I want to be? Yes or no. And how do I keep moving forward? But realize that there is this whole realm of experiences that we all have as humans, different emotions. We are not robots. And that the thing that I love is these sales practices and getting better at them translate to life to your point, these relationships. Mm-hmm. Like if I have more appreciation for my job, my family, like that all trickles through and I can now start seeing the good in other areas and show up in a more real way elsewhere that I, I think business has made it hard to do for a long time, but we're finally starting to see that we don't have to show up as two different people to yeah. working at home. Yeah. Well, <laughs> That was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, what, what I loved about what you said is that things are changing, right? And, and there was a period where I, so I, I was raised in a town, like, so part of learning, I should say, this is the greatest profession on the planet, right? when done properly. And the reason, in my opinion and experience, why it's the greatest profession on the planet is because of the type, it's the journey, it's the type of person that you turn into when you're able to consistently level up like this and push yourself and be discomfort and so, or be uncomfortable and get better. Um, and some of the most amazing humans that I've ever met, right, are, are those that have gone on this similar journey with me. But what's interesting now coming out the other side is that we, we all have these, to your point, like these really, I, I don't want to say like identical experiences, but we can all relate to feeling harmed in the workplace, you know. And sometimes when we allow these like arbitrary differences 
our race, our gender, our location, our age, our sexual orientation, our able body. Like when we allow these arbitrary things to impede the conversation, it prevents us from seeing that shared humanity, that shared experience. Um, however, I'm with you on things that are starting to change. You're, sh- you're shaking your head. Yes. Yeah, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking you're with me on this one. I, I totally am. I, I just see, you know, some of these issues like, you know, race and these systems, like most of the stuff is made up. You look at the DNA, we're not, we're all 99.99 some odd percent the same. And yet we have these different lenses that we've been conditioned to for years to think like, oh no, we're so much different than them or, or than somebody else, male, female, black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever. It's like, we're all humans doing the best with what we got, having this human experience. And the more closely that I think we can understand our emotions, how we show up, the more that we'll understand that other people also have similar things going on with them. And I... And they're flawed and they don't have the skill sets to understand and they uh, are also going through their own journey, you know, and so just, yeah. However, this is why I, I titled that Sales Hacker article, Mental Health, the Greatest Competitive Advantage You'll Ever Know. And you mentioned before about the tools and techniques, right? And so for me personally, friends, like one of the, well, I get asked often, right? What's, what do I do next? What's the first thing? Um, and I... I would point, I point people directly at cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, um, it's the most effective form of therapy, right? And so not all therapy is created equal, right? It's, <laughs> and not all therapists are in fact trying to convince you that you're trying to sleep with your father, right? It's not, it's not always like that. Um, but cognitive behavioral therapy is designed, it's a, so think sports psychologist, but it's designed to help you, the individual, hone in on the tools and techniques that work for you in certain instances. And so you, you almost, you work with a professional to establish these routines, establish, to find in and test and iterate and experiment, which is another reason why sellers do so great with CBT um, is because this is how we operate, right? We test and try different things until we figure out what works. For me, journaling was massive starting running again, like I don't want to be obvious about it, right? But um, trying a dry month for the, or a quarter for the first time, just just reacquaint yourself what it feels like to not have any alcohol in your system for a little bit and not waking up. And, but, and so these types of experiences and routines that you create, right? Once you have them, then you can uh, make decisions about whether or not to, you know, c- keep the frequency or continue it or whatever, but they're yours forever. Um, and so there is absolutely no reason to try to suffer through that alone. Like just go ahead and uh, rip that bandaid off and figure out your shit as quickly as possible with a professional. And then do me a favor, come back and, and tell your peers, turn to your friends and help them out too. <laughs> it's, there's so many folks out there that, are afraid to ask for help that think, you know, oh, this is only whether it's relationship counseling, whether it's CBT, whether it's, you know, finding a coach, like there are so many ways to get help. But so many people, I think the stigma for a long time has been, I've got to be broken to get there. You know, and I think in that article that you wrote there, there's so many good points about how we're starting to, yes, justify mental health through ROI and business, because that's how businesses make most decisions, but how within sales, we can actually start like 
looking at these underlying factors that also oh, help us relate causes. to humans better. Yeah. What kind and, of underlying and, causes are you speaking of, sir? Oh my gosh. You know, I've got all sorts, but for me, uh, and I, cough. I for, I'm not training managers or any kind of manager on flirting programs whatsoever. Cough. <laughs> <laughs> like coaching, you know, it's yeah, like, I, I see you. so many managers are tasked to be coaches, but all they have been trained on how to do is the job that they did really well beforehand. And there's, to me, where I've seen humans shine the most and really want to step up is when we can talk about the whole human and not just about the job and not just about the sell the single deal review, but actually talk about how do we help you grow as a person? How do we help mm-hmm. you elevate yourself to that next level? And how do we understand that, hey, you're coming in and you know the, the working parents right now that have their just life in a tailspin from, you know, having to be totally on their feet, kids at home when they were supposed to be at school and having to work from home. No no childcare, not a, not a, yeah, all that shit. And yet nobody is bringing that into the conversation to say, how are you showing up today? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm really struggling. Here's, you know, a couple of things that didn't go well. Okay. Well now let's think about how do we operate a little bit differently? And, And I understand we still have numbers to hit. We still have, you know, revenue targets. We still have, financial uh, incentives and obligations in our lives. So I know those things don't go away, but being able to adapt to how we work based upon how others are feeling and being humans, I just think sales helps us relate better to others in life as well. But to me, I think this is where a lot of our managers are struggling. So I'd be curious, like peel that layer back a little bit for me. Where do you see leaders either Let's go with screwing it up. Where, where are companies and leaders screwing it up with supporting mental health across their, their teams? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, hmm. I'm going to practice something new here, and that is to apply some empathy for the sales bosses. Um, I... When I transitioned to sales enablement, right, one of the hardest things about that for me personally was realizing, recognizing how pervasive the thinking was about sellers from our own, air quotes, leadership ranks, right? We are not problem solvers. We cannot manage our time. Like we have to fix that. And it just, um, and so that was hard. That was hard. However, I can, I look at the turnover rate right now of, of sales bosses, right? Every 18 months, right? That lack of consistency, right? I totally understand the pressure that's coming down. But most importantly, we have done a terrible job of onboarding new sales managers, um, like to the, as a profession, right? To the point where it's fucking embarrassing, right? So Google did a study about 10 years ago. They started, I think it's called Project Oxygen. And they looked for the factors that make up a great manager and um, obviously correlating with those results and hard skills, soft skills alike. Out of the 10 factors that they identified, right? Um, technical acumen, was on the list, right? A hard skill, the ability to do the job, which is ironically one of the, like Q Alanis Morissette, it's like the only one that we promote on in 
sales organizations. Like this person has sold. Okay, great. Go manage a team of like 10 or five or whatever. Good luck. Let us know how you make up. Um, and so there's, there's that. And I think that that's a great place to start, right? Just upping, you, if you care about your people and you care about their experience and you understand that it is not zero sum, that when you are coaching up a person to become a better human being, the fact that they also create um, more consistent and sustainable revenue streams is, is a, they're not zero sum again, so they come together. But if you're focusing on the latter exclusively, you will miss out on the first part. Um, yeah, so that's it. Just basic, basic, basic. Let's teach our managers about how to manage, how to lead. What's the difference between coaching an individual and coaching a team? Where do the aggressive use of dashboards like tip into toxic masculinity? Well, let's talk about our P&L statements, right? But like we understand top line revenue and droves around here. But when you actually get into conversations about like the profit margins or the efficiency, right? The connection between your cost and your results and, and the, the money that you generated, um, you could just, you literally, really watch eyes glaze over. And so I think that's another piece where we can build up the skills, right? Is to familiarize yourself and understand at a much deeper level, the mechanics of your business. And the reason this is important as it relates to the mental health of your team is that when you understand the connection between your activity and your results, and you're able to look at, okay, where am I, like Pareto's principle, I'm getting 80% of my results from 20% of my inputs. What, like, which ones are those? Where are my 20 percenters, right? When I know how to identify those things, then I can both stop doing what's not working and do more of what is working. But more importantly, I can do away with all the waste, wasted energy, digital pollution, um, pissing off buyers by spamming. Like, And so... I think that's a, a, another massive piece of it is that transitioning away from like activity for activity's sake without understanding the connection to the results and more importantly, teaching your team how to make smart decisions with their time and their energy and, you know, give them, I don't know, like a fucking ounce of autonomy to be able to make some decisions about how yes. they would choose to sell as well. That would also help. I, I, I think there's so, so much truth in that because we, I find that most managers, to your point, go towards this like technical skill, especially in sales of do more activity, do more activity, do more activity. Mm -hmm. But most, I believe most humans are pretty intelligent. And if we, in sales, I know I need to do more activity to make more sales. I get that. Not a hard equation for me. But I don't need to be told to do more activity. We need to unpack, like, where is the motivation missing out? Like, where is that deeper why or the outcome maybe that you're trying to go towards? And I think that's where I still see most organizations struggling is like, how do we understand the motivation beyond just the fact of, well, you've got a quota to hit, so you got to hit that. Sure. Okay. But why do I want to hit that quota? What does that, how does that create my future? How does that help me? buy my house or take the vacation that I want or drive these things that go beyond just selling for selling sake. And ideally you're selling a product that you can believe in. So you see that you're helping in some form or fashion. So your purpose goes beyond just selling to slam that next person in the door. <sighs> Let's sigh. Uh, yeah, no, I, 
it's so like HBR, Harvard Business Review, one of their one of my favorite books they put out I think last year, two years ago, it's called What's Your Problem? Mm. Um, and in process improvement or process design, it's called the root cause problem, five whys, which comes from lean, right? And it's like when you're asking a buyer after the deal, like didn't after you lost the deal, if you should be calling your buyer's friends on the deals that you lost and ask them what you could do better next time. There's a treasure trove of information in there. It's not just something you have to check off so that you can close out the opportunity and not look like a douchebag in front of your manager on Monday for your pipeline review. But anyway, so ask, ask your buyers. But that said, when you actually start these conversations, you'll realize that the first answer that they give you is rarely the one. Right. The real reason is generally a couple layers down, right? Five whys comes from the fact that you have to ask why five times on average to get to the real problem. I think when I when I think about a territory and a quota and performance, there's a bunch of reasons why the results aren't there. And Part of the role of the leader, right, the manager, is to help is to help the person identify where their breakdown is. Um, and activity is rarely the answer. Although that's that's not the impression you would get if you consulted the filter bubble, right? Which is so oh so diverse, and you know there's not you know. Like 85% white men, um, you know, coming down from the 98% of white men that were given venture capital last year alone. Um, so there's no trickle down effect from that. Um, so other than that, yeah. I, I will say, I just read an article that my state, Colorado, number one state for women-led startups. Uh, I'm super proud of us there, uh, according to an article that I just read. So we're we're trying to trying to buck the curve and, and move things in the right direction, but it, we do see this this challenge across sales, and that's where I'm just so excited to be able to talk to different sales leaders, women in sales, folks with different backgrounds, because not only does this help us build perspective, see these blind spots that we've maybe never seen before, mm-hmm. but it gives us the ability to be more relevant to our customers, to be building a society at HubSpot, you know, our, our uh, founder and CEO, former CEO, Brian Halligan talks a lot about like, how do we build a company that our grandkids are proud of? Mm-hmm. And for me, I've really latched onto how do we build a society that our grandchildren would be proud of? And I think so much of it is around, you know, supporting equity, belonging, diversity. And to the earlier point, like realizing that we are all humans that are flawed that have challenges and struggles and are doing the best with what we got. And we can accomplish so much more together than if we just try and run on our own in our own tiny little silo uh, as a whole. I, uh, I'm i going to go in a little bit different direction, but you, you had a quote in that sales hacker article that I find is really powerful um, for mental health. And you talk about Engage with your head as an objective observer. Mm, Be ready to interact with your thoughts, Mm. feelings, and perceptions as an investigative journalist or scientist would without judgment. It's during these periods of introspection where you learn you are not your thoughts or feelings. They are simply guests in your brain. Uh, I wrote that. Yeah, that was. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear you expand a little bit on that about 
how people can actually separate from, I am not my thoughts. I am observing my thoughts because that was a huge transformation for me. So can you, can you share a little bit about what that means for you or, or how that's shown up in your life? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm going to tell a quick story. This happened last week. Um, no, actually two days ago. So I got like a, one of the young kids that I, I mentored recently, um, SDR, and it, very impressive. Like when he, I made him go on five on Friday and Francois was calling him a prodigy. But anyway, so the, uh, Day hits me up and he's like, the company's moving, like moving to ABM, okay? Or some version of that. And they're shifting the entire SDR stuff. Um, and I pushed him to his current job, like, cause I wanted him to go work under this one particular leader. And so like, I would like, I feel a little bit of a sense of like, okay, so talk to me about what's going on. But anyway, he, we get on the call and he gives me the whole breakdown and I'm listening to him and I'm listening to him and I, and I, whatever, just took it all in. And in my head, I was thinking, this is brilliant. Like whoever's making these decisions for this, like I'm, I knew he was being in the right place. And so maybe I'm a little biased there, but anyway, so I'm listening, but I also heard, um, and what I shared back to, to today, right at the top of it is was like, day. it certainly sounds to me as though you formed an opinion. And I reminded him, and I also am reminding myself, right, is that my goal is to remain objective, right? As objective as possible. And for anybody that's interested in reading more about this or how to do this, I think Ryan Holiday's The Obstacles Away is a brilliant fucking breakdown on this one. Brilliant. Um, Objectivity is the goal. And our, our default brains, the ones that we were born with, we were not born with default objective brains. These are muscles. These are things that you work on. Um, and it is absolutely a skill. It's absolutely a skill that you can work quickly, but it, it does not happen by accident and it's hard fucking work. Okay. Now, that said, step one is awareness, right? Okay. My goal is to be objective. How are these opinions like impacting me personally as an ADHD human with like I've got to control my energy because I get on a spiral, like, forget it all. You won't see me till next week. Like, so I have to stop myself sooner. Um, And so for me, a phrase that has helped me tremendously is the like, what, like if I'm scrolling on LinkedIn or whatever, like, what would it be like if I didn't have an opinion about this right now? And like, spoiler alert, it's fucking life-changing. So that helps. But now back to the guest in guest house. One of the things that's challenging about first stepping into awareness phase when it comes to your headspace is that we've all been kind of taught, like you were saying about toxic positivity, Jordan, we've been taught to believe that we're like, or assign like negative meaning to anger or to, uh, I don't know, like jealousy, whatever it is. It really is a green one, right? You don't want to be jealous. Like, okay, but bad things. The reality though, is that these are just events, right? An event is just an event. How you choose to interpret it is 100% on you. And I got news for your friends. You're going to get hit with fucking anger because you're a human goddamn being. You're a human being. You're going to get hit with maybe a little bit jealousy, different variations. However, part of learning how to hang out in your head long enough to actually like challenge some of these thoughts, some of these preconceived notions, some of these cognitive distortions, whatever, 
is you have to be able to stay there, right, for an extended period of time. And so, or at least for five minutes while you're journaling. But that said, if you're thinking that the angry thought that you're having is bad, right? And it's going to keep you from being grateful or key as opposed to it's just a thing. It's just a passing wave. It's a guest. And that's a roomy poem, by the way. I think I linked to it in the article. So I like, I can't claim it. Like, uh, like I didn't come up with this guest house concept, but these feelings, these emotions are just passing through. And the trick or the skill is learning how to not react in the face of these emotions, right? So pause, right? And so I don't, I'm talking to myself when I say this, like, like this was life-changing, right? Uh, instead of texting in anger, just put the phone down for an hour. Instead of yelling at your boss in the middle of the street in New York City after like whatever, it was particularly stressful. Um, like, mm, and I just, I had a conversation with somebody that filled out the type form, Jordan, and that was also their mistake. That was their biggest mistake was like, she's like, I've been carrying this shame with me for years. I didn't know I was the only one. Okay. But anyway, so instead of, instead of reacting in that moment, just let it pass. Um, and part of learning how to walk on this journey is learning how to go easy on yourself right? Learning how to not be so hard on yourself. And like, if you're, if you're going to beat yourself up about the fucking anger that passed through like yesterday, um, that's a, that's a hard one. And so try to try to like pull up a picture of your best friend and pretend like in your head, like, would you talk to your best friend this way? Absolutely not. So you don't talk to yourself like that either. That was a lot I just covered there, but does that answer your question, Jordan? It, it does. It gives me so much to work with. And you know, shows me where even though as much work as I do in this area, um, I, I'm so grateful to myself for the work that I do. And I still have a long way to go. And oh, yeah. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's <laughs> I, I just the conversation I had this morning. Someone was like, you, you are just beating yourself up. I hear you beating yourself up like you're doing great things like share, share this sentiment with yourself and like, why, why do I hear you having this conversation with yourself? And so I think there is just so much power in taking that pause, taking that break, and then being able to say, okay, and now how do I want to show up and realize that these thoughts, these emotions are things that I can look at and they are not me. They do not define who I am. And this is where the power of objectivity comes back in, right? Because once you are able to clear, like come up with like clean the slate, right? Come up with a blank sheet of paper, if you will. Then you can start to apply objectivity to the situations around you. Hmm. And it's again, an event is just an event. How you choose to interpret it makes all the difference. And so I got news for you, friends. Like if it's like the, the way that I've interpreted and responded to identical events, even I like, I'll go back and read a book. One of my favorite books on like that I read 10 years ago, I'm interpreting it differently today. And so there's absolutely a journey there. However, the North star is objectivity, right? It's controlling those smiles and cries, right? Not getting too high, not getting too low. We're not not feeling our emotions. We're not aspiring to ice them out because that doesn't work. 
sense. <laughs> like, uh, trust me on that one. Um, I'm a salesperson. You could definitely trust me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, but objectivity is the goal because this is where we can make smart choices. This is where we can help our buyers make smart choices. This is where once we learn how to become more objective, we can have these conversations with buyers. And I got news for you, like buying a piece of software especially an expensive one. And that is, that is a risky thing. And it's even riskier today, right? So there's fears there. And so part, I would, I would encourage everyone to think about it this way. Like you don't, learning about this stuff isn't just about you or your family. And those are true, true, true life-changing things and benefits. However, this also holds the keys to helping your buyers reach objectivity too, and make smart decisions and reduce the, the, cognitive distortions that they're experiencing and the whatever. And so it also helps you close more deals too. That's, that's the beauty of it. You know, my, my theme lately is get better at sales, get better at life. I think it's so closely connected. Um, Amy, this is fantastic. Talk to me about where folks should find you, follow you. You're doing some awesome work, building some great communities. Talk, talk to me about where, where folks can find you. Well, I think the the greatest first spot is to check out the show, man. And so my show is called Revenue Real Hotline. It is uh, conversations about uncomfortable conversations and sales. And I chose this topic for two reasons. Um, the first is that selling in its simplest form is really just a series of conversations um, any relationship, really. It's how we experience the other person. And it's also how we experience ourselves. And so there's a skill development aspect to these, these conversations. And so I'm aspiring with the show to get to a point where it's very instructional, right? How to take what we're listening to um, and apply it into how we choose, operative word choose, to sell. The second reason is because I'm there's a lot of unspoken conversations, uh, about how we generate revenue and the business of sales. And I, for one, am over the silence. And I also know that, um, you know, nothing's going to get any better if we like continue to sweep it under the rug. Um, and, but more importantly, I, we're all out of practice, myself included. And so learning how to silence the, I know that gremlin, right? Or, you know, put the ego in check or leave the agenda at the door. Like these are, or look past the flash judgments that you're making about someone the moment that you you meet them. Like these are, <laughs> there's a reason why, um, the demographics on sales floors are what they are right now. If you've got a white male leader, which 80% of sales floors are run by white men, um, you're going to have that 80-20 breakdown, right? You look at the the pay gap. The, like, And we're not even, we're talking about not even giving certain humans a chance at all. Like I'm thinking of black women. Like when you look at these numbers, it is... Mm. And so part, I don't, I'm, I know that these things are not going to be fixed right by the time I leave this planet, but I will sure as hell be a part of the, the solution while I'm here. And so <laughs> why not start a fucking podcast? So anyway, that's what the show is about. Where else? Um, Salescast, obviously for anybody else that's also learning or leaning into, you know, picking up a microphone, learning to tell their story, make peace with their story. Um, become better listeners and or use the medium to reach an audience or buyers and connect with them and build trust and open opportunities and generate revenue. Uh, anybody's interested in those things, you can come hang out with Jordan and I over in the SalesCast community. 
Um, and then, yeah, obviously Andy Paul and the book, I like, I would point people at the free chapter, right. It's for the sell without selling out. He's got a whole launch team play that's, um, happening. We're running with the, the hashtag take back sales. So if anybody's interested in coming and playing on that front, um, you know, definitely ping me on LinkedIn. This is great. Sorry, Colin. Sorry. That was more than one thing, Bye. <laughs> <laughs> this is wonderful. Uh, Amy Rahovchik. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, let's go make today great. Amazing. Thank you, Jordan. It was a pleasure. And listeners, thanks for hanging around. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks. 